Let's pray. Am I still on here? Can you hear me? Okay. Jesus, we love you, Lord, and we do begin this year. God, we want to put ourselves in your hands. Lord, I pray, God, that we would live a life that would be transformed day by day to be more like Jesus, to become more and more like you. God, let that be our highest aim, our highest goal is to become more like Christ, to love like Jesus, to serve like Jesus, to give like Jesus. Lord, we just give you this time this morning and we say you are worthy of it. Lord, I can't think of a better way to begin the year than gathered together, worshiping together. And so, Lord, I pray your blessing, your deepest, richest blessing on each person here, God. And we thank you and praise you for who you are in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Happy New Year to you. Glad you're here. Well, we're going to get right into this. Um, I, I, I wanted to share that video with you because I've I've been moved so many times when I come across the, you know, the passage in Jeremiah where it talks about we being the clay and, and, and God being the potter and Him shaping us and molding us to become who He created us to be. And you know, that's such a beautiful, sweet picture and you see that and it is beautiful, but I love that little statement in that video. It says, it won't be easy. It'll be difficult sometimes. The process of transformation, the process of becoming something new is exactly that. It's a process. But the greatest place for us to be is in His hands, and He's shaping us, and He's forming us. One time I was reading that passage in Jeremiah, and I was, it was at a particularly tough time. It was a difficult time, and I was thinking about the potter, you know, and, and, and you see them, we saw more her shaping and molding, but did you see the part where she takes the clump of clay and she's mashing it? I kind of felt like that, that he's in my hands and he's kind of pressing things and he's kind of squishing things and, and it can be very uncomfortable, but it's out of his deep love because he's making us new. And so I, I, I want to begin this year, and actually over the next few weeks, um, I'm going to be talking about transformation. It's kind of the word I, I feel like that the Lord is speaking over myself, over my family this year. And, uh, you know, how was your 2011? I've heard people, I've, I've heard different things. If you're on Facebook, you know, some people are saying, you know, I'm so glad that 2011 is over. Some people are saying it was a great year, and I'm kind of living an expectation for what's ahead, and some people say I'm so glad it's behind, and I'm, I'm so looking forward because it can't get much worse than 2011. You know, was it a good year? Was it a bad year? Was it neutral? And we all do this kind of evaluation of, of you know, where we were the, the last year. You know, our family kind of has a tradition where we sit around, we say, you know, what, what was the most memorable thing in 2011? You know, things that highlights of the year. And then what are you looking forward to most in 2012? And so that's a natural time to do it. I love the new year. It's, it's, it's a time of expectation. It's a, a fresh start or a reboot. You know, that's why resolutions are so popular. People have New Year's resolutions that they begin, you know, today. And most of them break it on the 3rd. 
But everyone, whether, you know, whether it's worldly or spiritual, they, they, they get this concept. People like to start over. They like to have a fresh start. And I think it's, it's built in us by God because God loves fresh starts. There's a worldly side to the mindset, but there's, this is also very spiritual. God loves new beginnings. He loves reboot. He loves redemption. That's the story of redemption is he takes something that was old and makes it new. He is making all things new. And we being in his hands as the, as the great potter, the, the, our father in heaven takes us in his hands. He's shaping us, he's molding us, and he's forming us because he loves us so deeply. But he loves newness. Ecclesiastes, I love that passage where he says his mercies are new every morning. That you can grab hold of God's mercies every single day for your life. Whether you've blown it, whatever has gone on, you can grab hold of his new mercies today. God loves that. So over the next few weeks, you're going to be hearing me talk about transformation. You know, and I know that there's an obvious mindset to that. You know, the obvious desire of all believers is being changed to become more like Christ. You know, that should be all of our goal. But if you're like me, it can get a little bit lost in that sea of, well, I hope that I can you know, fill in the blank. I, I really would like to do this, or I really would like to do that. I'd like to accomplish this. But then we don't really have a game plan in, in mind. We're just kind of, we get lost in a sea of, well, I hope that I will eventually do that. Not that it's not right to have, have hope. We should have hope. But how do we do this? How do we accomplish it? And I want to talk about what it means to walk in true transformation. You know, Romans 12, too is the passage of transformation. It says that we should forsake conformity to the world's way of doing things. I'm just giving you my, my version of this. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to the way the world does things, but be transformed. That God's desire, the, the heart of Jesus for each of us is to be transformed day by day, to become more like Christ. This is the difference between resolution and transformation. Resolution is kind of that worldly mindset of, you know, I'm going to just have enough willpower just to, you know, muscle through it and, and get through it. And, and transformation is completely God's heart and, and, a, and a spiritual depth that he's working in us to make us more like Jesus, that we don't have to do it on our own. This is the difference between having a worldly mindset and a spiritual mindset. Resolution versus transformation. Resolution equals willpower. Transformation equals the power of Christ in me. The power of the Holy Spirit. Submitting my heart to the power of Jesus and becoming more like Him. Transforming my mind, as, as Paul said, transforming my heart, transforming my life. So what I'm talking about is it's intentional transformation by the power of the Spirit being on purpose in our relationship with Jesus and allowing him to pinpoint something or some things. In my case, it's multiple, if you're like me. But allowing him to pinpoint something that he wants to do in you, something that he wants to transform, something that he wants us to put under the lordship of Christ. Or maybe many things. Because out of his love, he said, I want, I want the best for you. God really does want the best for his people. 
Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father. He loves to give good gifts to his children. He loves to walk with us in relationship and to make us more like Christ. And so transformation, when I talk about the power of intentional transformation, again, this is not doing this on our own with enough willpower. It is saying I'm walking in intimacy with Christ and he's allowing his spirit to work in me and I'm allowing his spirit to work in me to make me more like him. Last year, we began the year with discipleship, you know, following Christ intentionally. This is the natural follow-up. You will hear very similar themes as we go along this year, but following him and then being transformed to become more and more like him in an intentional way and not just kind of, well, by the end of the year, I kind of hope that this works out, but saying, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to seek God like never before so that he can transform me to make, him, make me more like his son. So what is God speaking to you about? What is he putting his hand on? And again, he does it out of love. He wants us and he desires us to walk in all that he has created for us. If you ask most people, if you say, would you like to walk in everything that God has for you? Most people would say, yeah, absolutely. Do you know God wants it more than you do? Because he's created you and designed you for a purpose, specific purpose in Christ. He's created you for that. And he wants you to walk in it. He wants it more than you do. But he also wants to walk with us through this transformation process. And he longs to do it in an intimate relationship and not leaving us alone and just saying, okay, you know, here's the things that I'm pinpointing, here's the things I'm putting in my hand, good luck with that. But I want to get to the end of this year and, you know, I don't want to look back and, and have regrets. I, 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 I want to finish this year well. I want to begin well, I want to end well. So what is God speaking to you about? Maybe it's a relationship in your life. Last night, uh, a lot of you were here, we watched the movie Courageous, and it's about fathers, and, and I tell you, I've seen it twice, and it strikes my heart of what kind of a father am I being, not in a condemning way, but just saying, God, what are you speaking to me about being a father, and how can I be a godly father to my kids? How can I be a, a godly husband to my wife? But maybe God's putting his hand on a relationship in your life that needs to be transformed by his power. Maybe a broken relationship, maybe hurting, maybe your marriage is just barely surviving and God wants to transform it into the image of his son and that you get to the end of the year and you go, look what God did in our marriage. Look what God did in our family. Maybe it's your finances. And again, I, I, I know a lot of people have that worldly kind of resolution. Well, you know, I'm going to hopefully do this, but I, I'm talking about the transformation power of God. And a lot of times the, the resolutions deal with, you know, physical stuff, finances, you know, and, 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 and the list goes on and on. And every year, you know, we kind of put these out. But God wants to walk with us through that. Maybe he is putting his hand on your finances, the way you manage, the way you steward your finances. Maybe you're in debt and you've been trying to get a game plan and say, you know, I, I'm trying to get out of debt and find a, a way to get out of debt. God wants to help walk with you in a transformational power to help you get out of debt and give you a game plan. But let me remind you, it's not going to be easy because it's, 
It's the act of our will coming in alignment with Christ and His Lordship. Maybe there's an addiction you're dealing with. You know, you hear that, but not all addictions are where we have a mindset of drugs or alcohol. Maybe you might be dealing with something that, but maybe it's something, that, maybe it's, it's you're addicted to screens, maybe you're addicted to food, and God is wanting to help transform you this year. Maybe it's a ministry he's calling you to do in the church. Maybe he has put a passion on your heart, a ministry passion in your spirit. And it, maybe it's, light, it's, been, it's been dormant for so long and you really don't know what to do with all that. And maybe God is wanting to transform that and to bring that out and to, do, and, and to take you farther along on the path. I'm not saying he's going to launch you immediately into ministry, but maybe God is putting on your heart and he's going to transform you into who he's calling you to be for ministry for the church. Again, maybe it is physical stewardship of how we take care of our bodies. Paul says the, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit and how we take care of our bodies is important. It's a, it's a stewardship thing. Maybe it's your job to be more faithful at work, be more of a witness at work, have more integrity on your job. Maybe you're looking for a new job. Maybe you hate your job, but God wants to create a love in your heart for that job and, and for his provision for you. Maybe he's dealing with you about your relationship with him. And he's drawing you and he's saying, I, I want more time with you. And, and, and where he, through the power of the Spirit, transforms us to, to, to become more like him, to seek him and out of a love relationship, I want to spend time with you. I want to be in your word this year more than I ever have. And again, he wants to walk with us through it. And also, as the body of Christ, he wants us to do it together. Let's get transformed together. How about that? Let's do it together. The worst thing we can do is get isolated and, 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 and be broken away from the body. And, and I mean, that the enemy just preys on us when we do that. But God wants us to do this together, loving each other. You know, the worldly approach to the new year is that a good year is defined as this. It's absence of problems, comfort and ease, no issues, no problems, physically, uh, financially, relationally, everything's going great. The only problem with that is it, it isn't reality. Because when, you know, we, we, when we endure trials, when they come, and you have the expectation that a good year means the absence of trials, you're going to have a bad year. I'll just go ahead and throw that out to you. Because we will endure trials. The, the question is, what do we do when the trials come? You know, that bill comes in the mail that you weren't expecting. The car breaks down. Can I get a witness? Appliances. We had the appliance year a few years ago. You guys heard me share this. It still is, that still affects me when I think about it. Within about a five-month span, we had four appliances go out in our house. That's fun, isn't it? Don't you love spending money on that kind of stuff? It's just great. You know, a, a washing machine or a dryer that sits in your basement. Nobody can see it. I almost wanted to parade people and say, look at my new dryer. You know, and, but when that stuff happens, it's a test of your faith. Don't we naturally say, God, what are you doing right now? Because this isn't working out for me. I don't like this. And, you know, 
in the big scheme of things, those are, those are small issues. But what about when those big things come? Sickness. Relational issues are, you know, there's a devastation in, in, your, in a relationship. When those things come, what is our response? What do we do? You know, and so many, so many times the tendency is for us to live in that, and it's just we, we've, it's a miserable time, so we've had a miserable year, and everything is miserable. But God wants to walk with us through it. That's why Jesus suffered is because he would be acquainted with our suffering, our griefs, our sorrows, to understand us. We have, we have a high priest in heaven that understands us, that walks with us through those things and is transforming us and that he can turn a trial into an opportunity to reveal his glory. So we, we, have, a, we have a decision to make. If we see through the lens that the trials equal a bad year, then we're, we're going to have a lot of bad years in our lives because they will come, whether small or big. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So we're going to have challenges. Let me just go ahead and throw that out to you. You're going to have challenges this upcoming year. But here's the encouragement. Don't face them without Jesus. Don't try to walk with them through them without Jesus. He is working things out even when it seems like he's not because the promise of Scripture is that he works everything to the good of those who love him. And if you love him and you are walking with Jesus and you're walking with him through the trial, he is going to do something good through it. And that's why the heroes of the faith, and you, not just biblically but even uh, are common heroes, and you've heard me talk about, you know, Johnny Erickson and, and, and Nick Voyages, the guy without arms and legs, is they've taken this Christ in their life, and they could have been isolated, and just got alone and just lived in misery. But they said, God, you said you're going to work everything out good to them that love you. I love you now. What are you going to do with this? And God has launched them into international ministries, and they are touching the nations. But that's not just for them. That's for us. So we surrender to him uh, you know, every day in every situation and it will be an opportunity for his glory in and through us. There's an interesting thing in the Chinese language. Um, most of you guys know that we are in a process of adopting from China. If you didn't know that, surprise. Um, and so I was just, you know, you're reading stuff about the Chinese culture, the heritage, and maybe you're familiar with this, but uh, there's... There's a word, uh, the word crisis in the Chinese language, you know, and, and the Chinese language is symbols. And it's very interesting that crisis in the Chinese language, it's symbols that mean danger on one end and then on the other is a crucial point of opportunity. Isn't that cool? Crisis, danger, but with, a, brings you to a crucial point of opportunity. That is very spiritual. Every trial, every crisis, big or small, brings us to a place of, of danger. It can be, it, you know, it can be dangerous, you know, obvious danger, but it can also be spiritually dangerous of what we do, but it's also a crucial point of opportunity, what our response will be, what will be our attitude, because it's very crucial how we deal with the trials in our lives? Will, will we run to Jesus or will we run away from him? 
Will we connect with those around us and fight together? Or will we run into isolation and get picked off by the enemy? It's up to us what our response will be. And this is nothing new. The Bible's filled with crisis. Have you ever read it? I mean, look at the people in the Bible of the crisis that they went through. They dealt with some major, major issues. I want to look just briefly at Moses. I actually don't want you to open up your Bible because uh, I have a reason for that. I don't want you to look at the rest of the story because our tendency is, is our eyes go through the, the story. I just want you to hear this. I'm going to read it. I'm going to read the bookends of this story. Moses and the Israelites are coming out of Egypt. You know, God has, has sent the plagues and all of that stuff, and they're coming out of Egypt. But I want you to hear, and I'm just going to read this to you on the bookends. Exodus 3. Verse 7 through 10. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their, of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. The land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and all those other ites now live. I always love to say that. I don't know why. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. And we all go, yeah, what an incredible word from the Lord to Moses. I've, I've promised the promised land to them. I've seen their cry. They've been under great duress and and, and, and I'm sending you Moses, and, and, and it's going to be awesome. And then we fast forward to Exodus 15, 22. Then Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea, and they moved out into the desert of Shur, the end. Isn't that beautiful? You guys are supposed to laugh at that part, so... Isn't it interesting? We can read the bookends, the promise, and man, God has got all of this, 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 these promises for, 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 I've heard my people, I've heard their cry. They're under, you know, Egyptian rule. They've been in slavery. I've heard them cry out to me. I love them. They are dear to me. I have the promised land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to destroy all their enemies, and, and I'm going to lead them out. And then you fast forward to Exodus 15, and Moses led them. And then we just go, ah, oh, isn't that beautiful? But if you look in between the bookends, there's a lot of stuff. There's a whole lot of stuff. Wouldn't that be nice if that were the story? Don't we all pray for that kind of story? Okay, God, you've made some promises to me. I receive that. It's, man, you're going to take me into the promised land, and I'm going to walk in everything that you have for me. And the Lord led me to my own little promised land, the end. Except that we miss out on what happens in between. These people had major obstacles. The obvious enemy of, of you know, when they fled, the Egyptians chased them into the desert. The enemy was there. Then they got into the, the wilderness, and guess what, was, what else was there? A major battle. Their own attitudes. God supernaturally releases them and does miracle after miracle. The plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, they get on the other side and they immediately say, 
it would be better if we went back to Egypt where we had food and drink and why did you lead us out here? And they begin to grumble and complain against Moses, against God, and their own attitudes became their enemy. What else were they dealing with? The test of the timing of the promise. Well, God, didn't you say? I thought after you said it would be like three days. Don't we want God's promises, as soon as he says it, we think, well, that should happen in like a week. God called me into ministry, you know, and I was ready. I was, he called me into ministry, you know, spoke to myself and Athena. We were engaged and, you know, God's called me into ministry. And so now I, I think it should take about six months and I'll be working at a church and making a full-time salary. I'll be in full-time ministry. Hip, hip, hooray. God, thank you. You've called me. Now open the door. And God is like, you know, wait, there, there is so much I need to bring you through. I want to take you in my hands like the clay. I want to mold you. I want to shape you. I want to, I want to squeeze some of those things that are not of me out of you. And it's going to be a process. And boy, was it. The things that we dealt with, our attitudes, the test of, of the timing of his promises. Well, God, you said. Should happen, right? But this is our story. This is, this is all of us. There's nothing new under the sun. We look at the, the Israelites. We see us. I mean, it manifests differently, but we see us. We have something, what we feel like God is doing, and yeah, there's some enemies, and God gets us through this and that, and where's the promises, God? What, is, what about what you said? Or things are not happening like I thought they would, because isn't that our human tendency? Is we define for God, how it's supposed to work out. Okay, you've said this, then we immediately put the parameters on how that works. I'm guilty of that. I think that's human nature. We begin to try to, we wonder how it's going to work out. I can tell you this, when God called me to the ministry, one of the last places in the world I thought that I would ever be is Minnesota. Not that I don't love you people. Not that I just didn't have any, we didn't have no connection in the upper Midwest. We said, God, we're open to your call in our life in the Southeast where we know everybody. <laughs> and God has a way of saying, molding us, shaping us, and, and gets you to a place where you go, okay, God, I'll go wherever you want me to, okay. Not that he's going to just send you where you don't think you're going to go all the time. But that's walking in relationship with God. But boy, I, I would love to say that he called me and then opened the door to Minnesota. I, he had so much to work. I was so immature. I, I had so many issues that God was dealing with me in my life. To, and just because I'm here doesn't mean I've arrived. He's still working on things and he's molding and shaping. And he does that because he loves us. But their story is our story. And it's natural to think if, if, if God's desire is to transform us to be more like Jesus, and that's the ultimate thing he's doing in our lives, and you know, whether he uses you at you know, a, a job as a student, um, in ministry, whatever, in the local church, he is revealing, he just desires to reveal his son in and through what we do to be transformed, to be like Jesus. And if that's his desire, don't we think that the enemy is going to battle that very thing? 
Just like, just like the Egyptians, they did not, Pharaoh did, did not want them to go into what God had promised for them. And the enemy does not want you and I to walk in what God has for us. And so you will have times where you're battling the enemy, but you're not fighting alone. And you're not battling against people. We're battling against spiritual forces. But God wants to fight for us. He also wants us to fight together. But we will fight the enemy. And the the next thing is we will have the test of our attitudes. Our attitudes will will get tested because maybe we didn't think something was going to work out or we don't like how things are going. And it'll be a test of our attitude. What will be our response? Because the the tragic part of this story is, is that God brought that generation through and they They escaped Egypt and they escaped the clutches of the enemy. But then because of their attitude, they wandered for 40 years. And the following generation was the ones that got to inherit the promised land. I don't want to just simply fight away from the enemy. I actually want to go where God wants me to go and go into the places and the promises that he has for me. I'm not content just to win a few battles. I want to see the promised land that God is calling me to. To build his kingdom upon the earth. To see Jesus shine brightly. To see people come to know him. To be transformed to be more like his son. But that generation, their attitude kept them from experiencing all that God had for them. And I imagine that they had tons of regrets when they got to the end of their lives out there in the wilderness and they're remembering some of the battles that they won but thinking, what could have been? I don't want to live in that place of what could have been. I want to be who he wants me to be. I want to be transformed by the power of his spirit. And I want to fulfill my purpose in Christ and I want that for you. I want that for my family. But the enemy will fight. He will fight our promises. He will fight our purpose. He will fight our destiny. And he will fight in all kinds of different ways. And when God has you on the potter's table, whatever that is, I'm not up on all that, but when he's squeezing you, the enemy will say, look how God does not love you. Look, you're being squeezed right now. You're going through a period of silence. See, God doesn't love you. And you will hear the voice of the enemy. But that's those times where we have to press on and press through that God is working in our midst. We have to be intentional about our pursuit with him. I love James 1, 2. Consider it, consider it pure joy when you face trials. Consider it joy when you face trials. And he goes on to say, and then, and then the natural question is we hear James, consider it pure joy. It's like having a conversation. You know, Imagine you're sitting across James, you're drinking coffee, and he looks at you and says, consider it pure joy when you're going through trials. And you sip your coffee and you go, um, why? Why would I ever do that? And he goes on to say, because it's developing perseverance. It's developing maturity. And he says this, you will develop perseverance and maturity where you will be lacking nothing. 
You mean to tell me that when I consider my trials joy, that it equals to me lacking nothing? And that's what he's saying. Because what he's saying is you are doing it God's way. You are following Christ. You are allowing Jesus to do his work in and through you. You are allowing the Spirit of God to make you more like Jesus Christ. Lacking nothing. Because ultimately, when you get to that place, when you consider it joy, you have found your place in Jesus. You have found your contentment in Him. Because when you find Him, you lack nothing. That is the promise of that passage. So you can even go through trials and lack nothing because you have Jesus. And when you have Jesus, you have everything that you need. I began this service and I began, uh, you know, at the... uh, praying about Genesis 1. If you were here, in the beginning, God. And I love that. In the beginning, let's start out with God. But you know what? He doesn't want to just be our beginning. He wants to be with us in the process and He wants to be our ending. He doesn't want us to just say yes to Him, you know, pray the prayer of salvation and then kind of walk through life and kind of, you know, hopefully things will work out and one day I'll get to go to heaven. He wants to be our beginning and he wants to be our ending because yesterday, if you read at the end of the book, Revelation chapter 22, Jesus says this, I am the beginning and the end. In the beginning, God, and at the end, God. I want to start with him and I want to finish with him. I want to start well and I want to finish well. In the beginning, God, and at the ending, Jesus, He is the beginning and the ending. He is the Alpha and the Omega. And He is our reward. He's our Redeemer. He's our life. He's our hope. He's our peace. He's our joy. With Him, we lack nothing. And when He becomes our reward, I tell you, we will accomplish so much for the kingdom. Jesus, You are my reward. Not doing ministry or or having results. Jesus is my reward. That's why John the Baptist finished well and, you know, even how he died kind of, it was kind of a weird way he died. He got his head cut off and, and it was kind of seemed icky. But you know what? His anthem was, behold the lamb. I keep my eyes on Jesus. It's all about him. He is my reward. And so he finished well. It wasn't about results. It was about Jesus all along. So I encourage all of us, I encourage my own heart, my family, I encourage you to begin with Jesus and to end with Jesus, to allow him to transform you. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, I'm going to close with this today. Paul says this, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things are passed away and and behold, all things become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is a transformational passage. We use that for salvation, rightly so. It's somebody, it's the, it's the old life and becoming you know, a new man in Christ, a new woman in Christ. But it's also, it's for us every day. He that is in Christ is a new creation. The old things are passed away and behold, all things become new. The process of transformation. And here's the key. 
Because we would desire that old things would be passed away. Like the old year and the old is gone because we can't do 2011 again. We can't do yesterday again. But if we want the old things to pass away and we want the things to become new and you ask people and they go, yeah, that's what I want. Old things pass away and behold, all things become new. Here's the key and Paul says, he that is in Christ. Are you in Christ? Are you walking with him daily? Are you in Christ? In all these things, in transformation, he is calling us to himself. He is calling us to be in his hands. He's saying, do you trust me with your life? At a place of daily surrender, complete and total and utter, utter surrender, do we trust him? Do we love him? Are we in Christ? Because when we are, we will become new and we will be transformed to be everything that he's called us to be. Let's stand.